Good morning, everyone. It's great seeing everyone. Uh, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome if you're new. Uh, we are going to be reading through a passage in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. So uh, if you have a Bible, uh, can you turn to that? Or if you have a Bible app on your phone, uh, the reading for today is Matthew chapter 28. And then we're going to read verses 16 through 20. This is God's word. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Lord, I pray, Father, that uh, your word would speak with power uh, in ways that would transform us. Uh, I pray you would enlighten us on what it means to be your disciple in ways that would help us just understand what it looks like to follow you. Um, and I pray, Lord, that we would experience your grace, your freedom in uh, putting you first in making you our priority and um, committing our lives to you. Uh, and so, pr- Father, I pray you would be practical. I pray you would help us um, in very specific areas uh, take actions as your disciples that would bring transformation and joy and peace in our lives, um, and that your word would really be uh, growing us. So we give this time to you. We trust you. We thank you so much uh, for what you did on the cross for Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. Um, And so I pray, Lord, that we would be able to trust you so much that we would make you our Lord. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there's, There's a thought experiment that... I think is an interesting thing to do. And so, uh, you know, like philosophers, sociologists, uh, they do a thing where you put yourselves in the shoes of an alien. Imagine you're an alien and you come to, for example, a Sunday at CCIC South Valley and you observe what is going on and you try to like make hypotheses about what this group is about, right? Have you ever thought about doing that? Um, if you, if you uh, dropped yourself off in 21st century uh, America, for example, you would see a lot of people walking around looking down at some kind of like bright, shiny screen. Uh, they like drive around, they, they like move, they go into these like big boxy things that like have spinny things and they move around, go to different places. Uh, they do a lot of stuff, right? And so this is a way of trying to get outside of the thing that you see to be really normal, so you can try to understand it better, and you can try to understand what it's about. If an alien were uh, to come to our church, what would they observe about the layout of the room? If an alien were to come to church, they would see something like this. Uh, There's something really important happening up here on the stage, because the layout of the room is oriented towards the person here. And then everyone is really, really quiet, and then there's people who are like making some kind of cacophony with these like, they're banging on this like, this rectangle thing. I don't know, do aliens know what rectangles are? I don't know. 
It's an interesting thought experiment, right? Um, and so what's really interesting is uh, we come to Christianity and we come to church uh, not always thinking what's at the heart of what we're doing. And so Jesus, when he is giving this uh commission, well, we'll talk about what that means. When he's giving this commission, he is telling us what his mission is, what discipleship is about, what church is about. And so what we're going to see is uh, we need to re-examine what we think it means to be a disciple. Uh, so let me, let, me go ahead, uh, let me go ahead and pray for us one more time. Uh, Lord, um, I pray you would give uh, illumination in your text uh, that you would really enlighten us on what it means to be a disciple. Okay, let's, uh, let's continue going. So uh, let me give you one observation that there's a great book uh, called The Great Omission by a philosopher and theologian named Dallas Willard, and he begins his book with this little factoid. Did you know that in the New Testament, the word disciple appears 269 times, but the word Christian only appears three times. Isn't that interesting? And so what's so fascinating is when we come to church, a church building, if you're an alien looking at our, the experience that we have here, what you might think is that there are people at the front who are doing the activity, and then you guys are the audience. And so even the layout of many churches, it has more in common with an amphitheater or a concert venue than it does with some kind of participatory event where we are all doing something together. And our view of, American, of Christianity uh, is very passive, where oftentimes you think pastors, the super Christians, they're the ones who do things, and then I believe in God, uh, but that's all it requires. That's all I do. But what's really interesting is from this fact, 269 times the word disciple appears in the New Testament. The word Christian only appears three times. What Dallas Willard says is there is a presumption underneath all of the New Testament that every single person who says they're a Christian will be a disciple of Jesus. Now, we don't necessarily know what the word disciple means because we don't use that term in everyday parlance, right? And so what we're going to look at is, and this is super important because um, many of you last week, I was so encouraged by all of y'all who got baptized. Your testimonies were so amazing. You guys are really deep, okay? And I have heard from, I'm not just saying this, uh, Dan was telling me that Auntie Sue and Auntie Rosa, who are two uh, older church members in our church, they basically said that you guys, when you were sharing, you guys were deep. Like, so Auntie Rosa is like, I don't know how old she is. She's older than 80, and she has heard many youth testimonies. But what she said was, you guys have, a, you, you exhibit a lot of self-awareness. You exhibit emotional intelligence. You're aware of how you feel. You're aware of your inner life. And so you interact and engage with God in a way that's very intelligent, that's very sensitive, and very deep. And so I was super encouraged by you guys. And so one reason this is so important is because those of you who are baptized might be asking the question, okay, what's next? I just declared that I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. What do I do next? What is the Christian life like? So for those of you who are baptized, I hope this is really relevant to you. Um, for those of us who go to church regularly, 
Um, for those of you who might say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in God, but you don't know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, I hope that this can enlighten you. This passage can give you a picture of what it looks like to be a disciple. Um, and so this is important for adults, this is important for kids. For those of you who are examining the Christian faith, um, this is important because I don't want to bait and switch you, okay? I don't want to say, oh yeah, you know, like being a Christian is so easy, you just believe in Jesus, and then all of a sudden you get everything, you know, you get joy, peace, all of this stuff. Dallas Willard's point. Underneath all of the New Testament authors, they presume discipleship. And so everything that the apostles say and teach, they're presuming that you will be a disciple, and we'll, we'll talk about this. So a few points. Uh, what does it mean to be a disciple? We're going to see that. Uh, we're going to see the resources that Jesus gives us as disciples. And then finally, we're going to see how uh, being a disciple means being on mission with Jesus to make disciples. Okay? So we're going to talk about that. What is the definition of a disciple? Uh, what are the resources Jesus gives us to do this mission? And then finally, we're going to see uh, being a disciple actually means making disciples with Jesus. Okay? So let's look at the text. Um, the first thing I want you to say, uh, no, is um, let, I want to give you some examples, uh, some modern examples of what discipleship looks like. So uh, the number one example of discipleship uh, that I was thinking about was Star Wars. Um, okay, I don't know if this is totally irrelevant to everyone. I like Star Wars. I'm old. They're, they're, raise your hand. Does anyone watch Star Wars? Okay, have you seen like the original three movies, the old ones? Okay, okay, so this is gonna hit like two people. Whatever, it's fine. Okay, so in the world of Star Wars, there are these people called Jedi, and Jedi use the Force. And so I, I like concentrate really hard and go like, and then I shoot lightning bolts at Roger, and then he dies. That, that's that's, some, that's some one of the things that the evil Jedi do, right? But the, the Jedi are actually an order. There's like the good guys and the bad guys, and there's this whole elaborate system that they have where there is the old experienced Jedi who takes on a little like young whippersnapper Jedi, and then the young whippersnapper Jedi, they call them a Padawan or whatever, they call them an apprentice. They follow the old Jedi around, and they carefully watch everything the old Jedi does with the intention of learning from them and becoming like them. You get me? The, the younger Jedi pays very careful attention uh, to the older Jedi to figure out what they do, how they live, uh, they imitate their habits and their actions with the, with, to learn from them, to get knowledge and uh, abilities that they didn't have before, and then become like their, their older Jedi master, right? Um, okay, if that example didn't work for you. Another example, um, a sports coach, right? When you are playing a sport, how many of you play sports? How many of you play sports? So some of you play sports. So uh, some of you guys might, there's a legendary uh, teacher at Bret Hart, and you all know who I'm gonna say, Mr. Janice. So <laughs> Mr. Janice uh, has, been, I don't know how long he was a coach for, like 30 years, 30 plus years. Uh, he basically single-handedly uh, created the Bret Hart basketball program. He's been so influential in training so many people to play basketball 
um, the, who have come through the doors. So like Dan knows Mr. Janice. A bunch of my older friends, they were like Mr. Janice's PE students. Many of you guys had Mr. Janice as a teacher. And so Mr. Janice will make you go through an intense, rigorous training regime. And in order to learn from a coach, you have to surrender yourself. You have to die to your desires and listen to the coach, right? And so I want you to think of this example. Let's pretend that you, like 10-year-old Daniel, have a dream. You, like 10-year-old Daniel, have a dream of becoming a professional basketball player. And so you go to Mr. Janice and you say, Mr. Janice, I want you to train me to be a professional basketball player. And Mr. Janice says, okay, Daniel, I'm willing to take you on. In order to become a professional basketball player, you have to go through rigorous, intense, painful training and diet and nutrition and skills practice. And just you have to play basketball every single day for 11 years. And you can never deviate from this plan. This has to be your one consuming focus in life if you really want to achieve this goal. And do you know what I say to him? I say, I want to be a professional basketball player, but I would rather not run wind sprints. And he's like, okay, you don't want to run wind sprints. I want you to do some layup drills. And I'm like, you know what? I'd really like to play video games right now. I would rather not do that. And then Mr. Janice is like, what are you doing? Um, I want you to get down in defensive stance and hold it for five minutes straight. And it's like, I, I would really love to do that, but my legs are tired, and I don't want to get sweaty, because then I have to take a shower, and I might, have to, I might get dehydrated. Can you imagine Mr. Janice's response to me? Now, what's really interesting to me, um, th this illustration is extremely pointed, extremely pointed. And this is Dallas Willard's point. To be a disciple of Jesus means we learn from Jesus. You get me? The word disciple actually means a student or a learner. And during this culture, what it meant was the, dis the disciple would follow around the rabbi everywhere they went. They would learn from the way he carries himself. They would learn from the way he treats people. They would learn the way he thinks. They would internalize it. They would have to obey the master or the rabbi, even when they don't understand what the master is doing, um, in order to become like the master and get the skills that the master has. So let me use one more dumb example. Um, I, I meant to ask Eric about this. Uh, so I really love weightlifting. And uh, I was online. This is another example of, uh, in a sense, apprenticeship that we have. Uh, when you guys want to learn something that you don't know how to do, YouTube is probably one of the first places you go, right? And so when I've learned a lot of weightlifting stuff, um, I go to YouTube, I watch people who are masters at what they do, and I try to incorporate their, what, their practices. So being a Christian, sometimes we think, is simply believing things. But in the New Testament, being a Christian, even in the word Christian, Christ is in the word, right? And the word Christ means king. The word Christ means master. And so to be a Christian is not someone who simply believes something. It's someone who tries to learn from Jesus and someone who intentionally reorients all of their life around the goal of acting like Jesus and being like Jesus. 
and having the inner life of Jesus and doing the practices that Jesus does. This is what it means to be a disciple, right? Okay, so uh, here, the, the dumb example from YouTube. So uh, I was squatting. I was, I was doing some powerlifting with Walter in my home gym. If any of you young kids like want to come lift weights with me, I seriously, so I'm free Sunday afternoons many times if my wife is okay with it, because I have a one and a half year old, so it can be a little bit challenge, but talk with me and I will take you to my home gym and we can do some weightlifting together. But anyway, I was doing squats with Walter and Walter is super duper strong, so I was doing heavy squats with him and he's like moving the weight really quick and I'm like, oh man, I haven't done squats in so long. And so after I did squats with Walter, I was really sore, my hips were stiff, I'm, I'm old, I'm like not, yeah, I'm old. And so I was trying to like figure out a way to like open up my hips and stretch out, right? And so I looked online and there is a thing called the horse stance. So the horse stance is a, a gong fu stance where you basically do this. You do this and then you get, okay, this is really awkward. You do this and then you get down really low and then you just hold it. And you just hold it like this. You try to keep your back as upright as possible and you just hold it and you get used to sitting here. And you spread your knees out like that. And then you just sit here. And you just sit here as long as you can. And you try to get really parallel. So you should get low enough to the point where you can balance a stick on your knees. Did you do this, Eric? Yeah. You did this? How long, how long did they make you hold it for? Uh, like every time you would test, um, the time would increase. What, what was like the max you were able to do? Uh, is it two minutes? Two minutes? Okay. Yeah. So um, what's really interesting is uh, I want to get the benefits from doing a horse stance, right? I want to be stronger, I want flexibility, I want my, my hips to be stronger, to be able to stabilize my weight better, my knees to be more resilient, all these different things, right? Um, and so what I have to do is I have to get instruction from someone and then I have to embody that instruction by doing it, right? And so another dumb example, this would be like you wanna get really strong and so you start uh, looking on YouTube for instructions about how to weightlift. You start to read books about how to weightlift. For months, all you do is consume information about how to weightlift. And then you look in the mirror after two weeks and you have not progressed at all. You are not stronger. And you're like, what happened? I don't, I don't get it. I know so much about weightlifting now. It's obvious, right? You haven't changed because you have not embodied the information that you've been learning. And so to be a disciple, this is really challenging. If you know a lot about Jesus, if you know a lot about the Christian teaching and the Christian life, you know a lot about God, but you don't embody it, you don't seek, one of the, the early church, they would call Christians followers of the way. Now this is really interesting because the way is like a path or a way of life, right? And so to be a disciple, you have to learn from the master. You imitate the master. You embody his practices. You follow his way. You model every element of your life on this teacher. And then you have to put it into practice and embody it. And you see that in this passage, right? Um, when, when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he says, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And so what is discipleship about? It's learning from Jesus' teaching, and it's not only just learning information, 
It's putting it into practice. So the translation um, is a little bit, or I don't know about unfortunate. It says, teaching them to observe. And when you think of the word observe, you might think, you observe, I watch, I, I look. But the word observe actually means to practice something. If you say, I observe Ramadan, or I observe Christmas, you are saying you conform your behavior to an action or practice, right? Um, I observe the speed limit. What does that mean? I conform my driving to the demands of the speed limit, right? That's what it means to observe something. So Jesus says to be a disciple means teaching you to practice everything that Jesus has taught. Do you see what I'm saying here? This is what it means to be a disciple. Now, uh, the, one, one objection that you might be having is, and we'll get to this a little bit, um, one objection you might be having is, how can I trust Jesus? How can I trust Jesus? What you're saying, Daniel, makes a lot of sense, hopefully. I don't know if you're actually saying that. Maybe it doesn't make sense, but hopefully it makes sense. Um, but why would I want to give up my will, give up my time to reorient my life um, around the person of Jesus? And this is where our church philosophy is grace-oriented, which means we will never coerce or pressure people to do the behaviors of disciple. Do you get what I'm saying? Uh, because that's not a disciple. A disciple is someone who has made a commitment to a master. So a disciple is a learner, but a disciple is someone who has made a commitment to a master. And so this is where being a disciple has, is more like falling in love with someone than it is just kind of like coldly choosing to model someone's practices. To, to, be, to be a disciple means you see the master, you admire the master, you see something so attractive and appealing about the way he lived, the way he treated people. He has inner peace, he has tranquility, he is never hurried, he is kind to every single type of person. He prays for his enemies, he prays for the people who are crucifying him. This is what Jesus is like. And so if you want to be like Jesus, if you find him attractive, number one, you commit. Number two, you have to start learning, where you say, what are the practices that shaped Jesus into the type of person who was like this, and how can I integrate these practices into my life? And so this is where, um, honestly, uh, the structures of our church, the different ministries within our church, if they're operating properly, you know, we are not perfect. So we do not always, uh, we do not always like live out our church mission, but our church mission is this, to make disciples who have had their lives changed by God and send them out, okay? And we'll talk about what the sending out part means. The sending out part, it means mission, but we make disciples, so don't make, we don't want converts. We don't want church members. We don't want people to attend our ministries a lot. That is not our mission. Our mission is to make disciples. So people who have committed to Jesus, who want to learn from Jesus, and then we want to partner with each other to raise people up as disciples, to grow them in Christ, to grow them in what it means to be a disciple and to follow Jesus and to orient your life around the teachings of Jesus. Okay? That's what our mission is. And so when you look at the different ministries within our church, you look at our Awana ministry, which is on Friday nights, 
Um, this is for elementary school kids and younger. And in this ministry, what people do is they have kids memorize scripture. They introduce God to kids and they help them memorize scripture in a way that can help them gain an understanding about the teachings of Jesus. Um, and then the goal is over time, as they come to know who Jesus is, as they get to know the counselors in Awana, the leaders in Awana, they will say, there's something really attractive about the way they love me and the way they talk about God. I wanna know this Jesus who they love so much. I wanna know this person. And so over time, hopefully, through the Awana ministry, Kids will come to know and trust Jesus and become his disciples, okay? And so let me give you one example of this that I thought about. Um, there is a guy at our church named Jeremiah, and Jeremiah's son, if you see anything that looks good in our church, Jeremiah probably did it. So if you look at the foyer, Jeremiah completely renovated the foyer. He changed a lot of stuff. Jeremiah put up these uh, blinds. Jeremiah has worked so hard at beautifying our church, but what you probably don't know is Jeremiah was an Awana leader for years and years and years and years, for probably 10 years, right? Dan, is that right? How many years was Jeremiah? More than 10 years? About 10 years. And one of the youth that Jeremiah hung out with was a young whippersnapper named Daniel Dye. And so Jeremiah was Daniel Dye's Awana leader. And he taught him the Bible, and then I, okay, I am literally just making this up, so I don't know what it is, actually was like, but just pretend it was like this. So Jeremiah's like, hey, Daniel, memorize this Bible verse. And Daniel's like, no, I don't want to do that. And, and so Jeremiah's like, come on, please, please, can you do it? And Daniel's like, no, I want to play ball, or whatever. Um, and so uh, rather than becoming super frustrated, though Jeremiah sometimes was frustrated at Daniel, Jeremiah loved Daniel. And so over time, uh, they started to have a relationship where Jeremiah would take Daniel Dye to the movies. What were some of the movies that Jeremiah took you to? Uh, I it was some of the Marvel movies? No, it was the Marvel. It was the. Was it Maybe Oh, okay. So he, he took you to see a Star Wars movie. See, I didn't even know that, but that was all part of my plan. Um, so Jeremiah started forming a relationship with Daniel outside of the ministry, right? And so Jeremiah was a model for Daniel, where Jeremiah was a disciple of Jesus. And so the way Jeremiah treated Daniel was different than maybe the way a random teacher would treat Daniel, where he took an interest in him, he invested in him, he wanted to like take him to see Star Wars. And so over time, Daniel had positive examples of people within our church who were Christian, who weren't crazy, who weren't obnoxious, who loved him, and exhibited imperfectly, but well, the characteristics of Jesus. And so over time, Daniel, there are many reasons why Daniel didn't have to believe in Jesus. The church has done terrible things. Now, like, I, I can articulate a lot of your apologetic questions that you have, which are real questions. And so even in this passage, uh, these disciples came to this area that Jesus told them to go. Some worshiped him, but some doubted. And what's really, this is really important to my heart about how we do stuff at our church. Um, if you are doubting God, I will never say to you, you should stop doubting God. Don't doubt him. Don't question him. I will never say that because I, 
understand and I empathize with your questions. So the church has been abusive. The church has hurt people in the past. Spanish Inquisition, Spanish Inquisition Crusades, all of these different things. There are many reasons to distrust the church, right? But there are people who have become disciples of Jesus who give you positive reasons to trust God. There are positive reasons. And so that is one of the roles that older disciples have in our church, where like Jeremiah, um, just simply your presence in people's life as a positive older role model is something that is extraordinarily important in the way we want to do our mission. And that's why it's so important that there are people like Tammy and Sabrina and Sarah Jane, youth counselors, who are older, young adults, who come and serve with the middle schoolers and high schoolers, and they are an example of what it looks like to, disciple, to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, and so there is a researcher named Kara Powell who wrote a book called Sticky Faith back in 2011. There is a big kerfuffle about, yeah, you like that kerfuffle? There is a big kerfuffle about kids who are leaving church. Like basically they graduate from high school and then they never come back to church. They don't have a lasting belief in God. People get baptized in the church, they go to college, never come back. And so she was doing research trying to understand the reason for this phenomenon. And we still see this. And based on her uh, sociological work, based on her interviewing people, doing statistical work, demographic research, she said one of, if not the most important factor in kids maintaining their faith after they go off to college is what? What do you think? Good teaching. Star Wars. You, you got to take kids to Star Wars, see Star Wars, because then, I don't know, they learn what it looks like to be a disciple because of Jedi stuff. No. Um, wh what do you think? Rock concert music. Fancy church building. More electric guitars. More cowbells. I don't know. More, more drums. Is that what keeps people? Someone say something? Science? Oh, oh, science is a reason why kids uh, no longer believe in Christianity. Um, that's, that's one apologetic question that many people have. Um, uh, the answer is what really influences kids to stay with the faith is the presence of older adults that are not their parents who can model and what it looks like to be a disciple and invest in them. The single most important factor in kids is having non-parental adults who show an interest in them and invest in their lives. Do you know why this is so important? Your parents are your parents. If you're a, middle, if you're a high school boy and you start to ask your parents uncomfortable questions about the biblical sex ethic, do you want to go up to your mom and say, hey mom, what does Jesus think about premarital sex? No, probably not. But if you go up to a young adult who you trust, who has lived out the biblical sex ethic, they want to model their lives. And look, I am a, an adult who has lived it out imperfectly, by, by, by all means. But you go up to them and you ask them questions. Why do you model your sex ethic on the way of Jesus? You can have an honest non-judgmental conversation with them where they can teach you to follow what Jesus commanded. And what I mean by that is a process by which your thinking can be changed and examined. 
And so if you have doubts about the biblical sex ethic, I think that makes perfect sense based on the world that we live in, and you should have many questions about this. Now, what I want you to, to realize is if you, ask, uh, if you ask young adults questions, some people will say, like, I really lived it up in college. And you, based on media, based on, like, you know, uh, all, the, all the, like, sitcoms where, like, everyone is sleeping with each other, um, you might think that this is the best way to go about things. But if you actually meet a person who has lived out that life, not always, but sometimes they will tell you, I really wish I had made different decisions related to that. Because I made really close, intimate connections with someone, and then they broke off a relationship or they never wanted something lasting, and I was devastated by that. You know what I mean? And so what I'm saying is, you don't have to be convinced by them, but they are presenting an alternative way, an alternative path to go on, and then they can start to talk to you. They can share their experience. They can say, look, I know what you're saying. I know your temptations. I know your struggles. But let me give you my perspective. And their perspective is shaped by Jesus. And so then over time, you experience stuff. You, make your, you, you live the way you, you want to live. And you start to realize, maybe this is not working. Maybe this is not the way that I want to have romantic relationships with someone. And over time, your mind starts to change, where you think, maybe Jesus is onto something. Maybe Jesus is onto something in the way I treat money. Maybe life is not just about the accumulation of money. Maybe even though I have a lot of money, I still might feel insecure. I still might feel like I'm really scared about what's going to happen in the future. But then Jesus says there's a different way of treating money, where if your treasure is in heaven, no one can take that away from you. No one can take that treasure away. If your treasure is on the earth, people can steal it. It'll decay. The stock market will crash. Jesus has a different way. And so you get what I'm saying. To be a disciple, um, I would, if there's one action I could give to the people who got baptized, if there's one action I could give to the people who might be interested in, um, in, in a sense, learning what it means to be a disciple, I would say regularly meet with someone who you respect, who is a disciple of Jesus, and ask them questions about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Okay? You get me? Have a spiritual conversation with someone who you respect. If, if you want to talk to me, we'll go work out in my garage gym, and we'll talk about God. And I'll ask you stuff like, how, like, what's going on in your life? Like, how can I pray for you? How are your classes going? And I would love to do this. I would love to do this. Dan would love to do this. Um, this is one of the most important things I think you can do if you just got baptized. This is one of the most important things. Form relationships with people who you respect and then ask them questions about what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus in their life. So here's some questions. What are your practices? How has being a disciple of Jesus changed the way that you lived? You live. So um, in the self-help world, people always ask uh, really accomplished, successful people, what's your morning routine? Um, my morning routine is I wake up at 3.30, I work out for two hours, I meditate for 30 minutes, I eat breakfast, I work out for two more hours, and then I spend time with my family, and then I go to my acting job and I do stuff, you know? Seriously, like these are, like, ask these people who are working, who are busy, who are Silicon Valleyites, who have family, who have young kids, what do they do to follow Jesus in the circumstances that they're in? 
Find a student who you respect, who could be the same age as you, who could be younger, who could be older, and say, look, I am a senior at Leland High School, and I am applying for college apps, and it is a nightmare. It is so stressful. How can I follow Jesus and trust him when I don't get into the college that I wanted to? Or even if I do get into the college I wanted to, how do I keep my eyes on Jesus when I'm going through the college app season? Or you just graduated from college, your first job. How do I keep my eyes on Jesus in the workplace? What does it mean to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, with my coworkers? And um, I think my wife is an awesome example of this, where she both benefited so much from God providing Christian managers. At her first job, she had two separate Christian managers who were both older than her. And she was right out of her grad program. Uh, It was her first job and they talked about everything. They modeled what it looks like to be a manager to someone who invests in them, who cares about them. They would talk to her about money, about investment, about saving for a house. And so I have reaped the benefits from her talking to other Christians who randomly were at the same startup that she worked at, and they were incredible role models for what it looks like to be a manager. She also has been at companies where the manager is not like that. They are not invested in her. They don't help at all. And so what's so cool is one picture of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus is the way you treat and manage people, the way you interact with your manager. Do you always like talk behind their back or do you try to encourage them? Do you try to listen to them? And then also this transforms the way you run into suffering basically where to be a disciple of Jesus, Dallas Willard says this one thing that I think some of you need to hear. Dallas Willard says, one of the first steps of being a disciple of Jesus is basically to accept your circumstances, whatever they are, as an opportunity to grow as a disciple. To accept the circumstances you are in right now as an opportunity to grow as a disciple of Jesus. So let me use an example. Your younger, annoying sibling. Your younger sibling is the worst. They're always irritating you. And... You say to God, why can't you just, like, get rid of my sibling? Why can't you just stop them from being so annoying, right? And, or, or, like, you think, like, or here's another thing. You haven't even considered how Jesus might want to speak into and teach you how to be an older sibling. You haven't even considered it. But Jesus actually wants you to learn from him. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and go, therefore, teach them to obey all I've commanded you. The way you treat people is one of the most amazing signals um, and areas of growth in being a disciple of Jesus. It is where we experience the most challenges, our family relationships, and it is also the best opportunity for us to daily live out the life of a disciple, because you will meet daily irritations from your coworkers and from your siblings and your parents and your kids, right? Daily irritations. And so rather than saying, I wish my circumstances were different, I'm just going to like get mad at them. You can say to yourself, Jesus, what are you trying to teach me? How are you trying to shape my inner life and my character so that I can love them well? And then you fail and then you try again and then you fail again and then you try again. Do you know why? Because a disciple is a learner. Definitionally, a disciple is someone who doesn't have it all together. And so a disciple is someone who's committed to Jesus. They want to learn from Jesus. And then the process of learning from him is a long 
long, lifelong process of failure, and yet Jesus promises you have resources. He will never leave you or forsake you. He says that here. Behold. He says, behold, pay attention to this. This is what I want to leave my disciples with this as they go out on this mission. In your goal to be my disciple in your family, I am with you. I am never going to leave you even when you blow up at your annoying younger or older sibling. Simply say, I'm sorry, Jesus. Help me learn. The other thing that you learn when you're a disciple, if you haven't even tried doing this, you don't even know what's inside of you. What I mean by this is um, when you start to actually try living this way, it will immediately become extremely difficult. If you have this goal to follow Jesus and to be like him, you realize that your inner life is a mess. You realize that you are just like full of anger or resentment towards your parents, and it feels almost impossible to forgive them. They have seriously wronged you, and that might be true. But Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Basically, love the people, even the people who hurt you. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus' whole life was that, right? He went to the cross, and on the cross, as he was being crucified, executed, he said, Father, forgive them. Forgive the people who are killing me, because they don't know what they're doing. And so to be a disciple of Jesus means to forgive radically people who have hurt you deeply, including your family, including your parents. Now, when you start to try to want to do that, you realize, man, I need help because I can't do it. I can't forgive my parents. And I had a rocky relationship with both of my parents until I was in college. And I really struggled with having a real relationship with them, and I really struggled with forgiving them. But over time as a disciple, you can learn from stories of older believers who have the same parental issues, and you can say, how did you forgive your parents when they've done so much wrong to you? And they'll tell you, I couldn't do it by myself. I really needed Jesus Christ to work in me, to transform me. I needed to soak my mind in scripture, in seeing the forgiveness of God for sinners, and then over time, slowly, very, very slowly, I started to be able to do it more and more. And then I took specific actions at specific moments that were me trying to live out being a disciple of Jesus. So for example, when your parent asks you to do something that's annoying to you, as a disciple of Jesus, maybe you should actually do it. Because it says in Ephesians, honor your father and your mother. That is just the beginning, where you're trying it. You're you're trying the way. You're trying to hold the horse stance for a little bit so you can get better at it. You're trying the gong fu move. You're trying to weight lift. You're trying to put it into practice. If you don't put it into practice, what is it? Use it or lose it, right? Now, that's not completely true as a Christian because God is so faithful to you and he's never going to leave you. So even when you fail, but at the same time, he won't leave you when you fail, but he wants you to walk with him and obey him and put these things into practice. He wants you to observe these things, but it's a process of learning and it takes time. For parents, um, in Ephesians 6, same passage. Um, so if you're, if you're a junior high boy and your dad's annoying you, write this down. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but raise them in the instruction of the Lord. So this Bible verse is saying, Dads should not be irritating. <laughs> they should not provoke their kids. Don't exasperate them. Be patient with them. Model for them what it looks like to be a disciple. 
and then raise them in the instruction of the Lord. That's what it looks like to be a father who is being a disciple of Jesus. And this is how transformation takes place in people's lives. So we have this picture of discipleship, which is you commit yourself to a master, you seek to learn from them, you do the practices that they do, and out of that, you develop a completely changed inner life. A completely changed inner life. And so um, our, if you notice, uh, when Jesus says, the first thing you do when you make a disciple is you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, this verse is so important to our church. In this verse, to be baptized in the name could actually be translated baptized into the name. And if you notice, there is one name, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say baptize them into the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so this is actually the doctrine of the Trinity, which is that God is one God who exists in three different persons. So this is very confusing. But what I want you to know is to be baptized into the Trinity means you are baptized into a new family. And in this family, the Trinity, they love and accept and have a relationship with you. They help you forgive your deep wounds and hurts. You come to experience an environment of unconditional love and acceptance and guidance and presence with you, and this transforms the way you feel. This transforms your inner life in a way that gives you the resources to love and forgive people who hurt you. You could never do any of the commands of Jesus without having your inner life transformed in the same way that Jesus' inner life was transformed. If you look at the practices of Jesus, when Jesus was under intense pressure from all of these people who wanted stuff from him, he would go away to a quiet place and he would speak to his father. He would pray. And he would receive spiritual nourishment from God in a way that could keep him walking with God and at peace in a way that he could love people around him. Because you guys know, if you're stressed out and you're super hurried, you will never be kind to people. You're too busy to pay attention to them when they're right in front of your face because you have something to do, someplace better to be, you have college apps to work on. And so you need to care for your inner life. That's what Jesus did. Um, and so we're running out of time, but hopefully what we can do in the next few weeks is we can unpack some of the practices that Jesus did in order to cultivate his inner life in a way that can give you the resources you need, the spiritual resources you need to live out the life of Jesus. Um, but again, main point, big takeaway application. If you are a young or new Christian, find someone older who you respect and ask them to invest in you. Like meet with them regularly for two months, once a week, for 45 minutes. Is that too much to ask? Would you be, are you able to work that into your schedule? Or are you too busy for it? If you're too busy, then I would just suggest to you, um, being a disciple means having new priorities and the peace and joy and benefits that you experience from Jesus cannot be separated from the, the practices that Jesus practiced. You get me? You can't separate them. And so if you want to have joy and freedom from anxiety, like you gotta, you gotta put into practice. You gotta do the things that Jesus did. That's the way of Jesus. That's what discipleship is about. Um, if you are an older Christian, here's the mission. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. If you're an older Christian, if you've been a Christian for a while, do you see a role that your role in raising up and influencing younger Christians and being a model for them? And so youth counselors, you, you guys do a great job with this. But what I want to suggest to you is simply showing up on Sunday makes a big difference. Because like Walter's presence as a young working tech professional in our church shows kids that you can work a tech job and go to church. And it's not totally ridiculous. It's actually possible. There are people who do it. And so it's no longer so bizarre. It's no longer so unusual. Ashley works at a tech job. She is someone who follows God and is a disciple at a tech job, and she shows up, you know? Um, so older people, if you already have relationships with younger Christians, one thing you can do for them is you can simply ask how they're doing. Show an interest in their spiritual lives, and even during finals, even during college app deadlines, ask how they're doing. Ask how you can pray for them, okay? As we do this as a church, our mission, in Awana, in youth group, in adult Sunday school, on the Chinese side, in the cell groups, hopefully people will learn to love Jesus in a way that will want them to uh, make them want to commit their lives to him. And this is what it means to take Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to say, I love Jesus so much, I want to become like him, and I want to reorient my life around him. And now, this does not mean, again, this does not mean selling your house and leaving everything necessarily. Jesus could ask you to do that, but for most of us, it means remaining in the circumstances we remain in, having the relationships and job we have, and being the presence of God for people who don't know him. And praying for them, praying for your coworkers, being ready to love them and care for them. And so my wife, Ashley, is another, like, I always love, she's an awesome example about this, where at that same startup, there were non-Christians, people who were Hindu, people who had different religions, who knew that she was a Christian because she, she didn't even try to tell people, but she simply didn't lie about it. She was open. So she, she rather than saying, oh, you know, I was doing stuff on Sunday, she was like, oh yeah, went to church. Just really normal. And then they know that, and then when they're going through problems, they actually asked her to pray for them, even though they don't believe in God, or in, in, they don't believe in Christianity. I think that's a pretty amazing example of what it looks like to influence people, to share the good news, the way she loved them. Her relationship, her ordinary relationship with people who don't know Jesus made her attractive to them, and she was a good friend to them, and she was interested in them, committed to them. This is what it looks like to live out your faith, and it's different for everyone. It's different for you as a student. But if you ask Jesus, he will help you learn, okay? Uh, are you a learner? Are you someone who is seeking to rearrange your life around the person of Jesus? And then Jesus has this incredible promise for you. I really wanted to end it with it. Um, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus has an incredible promise for those of you who are Really, or sorry, 11, well, sorry. For those of you who are really struggling and stressed out, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 uh, through 30, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're heavy laden and tired, Jesus promises, 
come to me and I can actually give you rest for your soul. He says, take my yoke upon you. And this is a metaphor for discipleship. Jesus is saying, learn from me. I am gentle. I'm not going to push you. I'm not going to make you go at a pace that you're not ready for. I am gentle with you in your mistakes and failures. But if you learn from me, if you try to imitate me, you will find rest for your souls. Do you understand how amazing that is? With all of the mental health issues that almost everyone has, with everyone struggling with stress and anxiety and depression, all of these different things, how precious is it to find rest for your souls? And this is what Jesus promises if you follow him, if you embody his practices. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. All the other disciples, all the other masters in the world are hard. But Jesus as a master is gentle and easy, and you will find rest for your soul. Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, I pray that by your power and your grace and gentleness, you would make us into disciples who can make disciples, um, that you would equip us to live out our relationship with you in every area of our life. I pray for areas that were confused, that you would give us wisdom. I pray for areas we haven't even considered. You might want to speak into those areas um, that we would be open to learning from you, that we would be humble, that we would realize we don't have, we don't know everything and we don't need to, but we need to learn from you and be humble before you so that you can show us how to live. Um, and I pray we'd experience great rest as we do this. Um, thank you so much for what you did in the lives of the people who were baptized. I pray that you would bless them uh, in their young years of discipleship, that they would have a firm foundation in you, that they would hear your word, understand your word, and seek to put into practice, um, and they would experience great joy in doing that. Um, I pray for older Christians that you would connect us with younger Christians who we can encourage, who we can model uh, what it looks like to live uh, following you, and that would really be encouraging and build up our church. We really love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.